Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. Hello, there we go. Right. Do some level checks. You, McLeod? Icicles, bicycles, tricycles. Okay, that looks all right. Let's go. One. One. Yep. Sounds fine to me. We'll see. Uh, Ray Flanford? One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, one, two, five, bicycles, tricycles, icicles, and of course, sausage rolls and treacle tarts. Oh my dear me. I'm trying to mentally draw the Venn diagram of this podcast. So it's mobile tech, vacuum cleaners, sausage rolls. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. My name is Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is season 18, episode 3, and this week we're talking about Ben's smart lighting nightmares, app-powered walking, and what we recommend for video calling during lockdown. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. Yeah, rocking here. Thank you. Hello. Rafe Lanford coming to me live from London. Yes, lockdown London here. Lockdown London. And uh, you and McLeod still sat surrounded by boxes somewhere in the Middle East. That's right. I'm getting rid of the boxes. We're, we're, we're working through them. And hello from Muscat. Hello from Muscat. Oh. It's uh, taking social distancing to its uh, logical conclusion. It's going as far away from us as possible. That's right. And uh, gentlemen, Mm. happy anniversary. Nine years of this nonsense. Can you believe it? Wow. We were there first. (laughs) It was was quite funny, actually. I was thinking back to, you know, nine years ago, what was it that persuaded us that we needed to make a podcast? And I think somebody else very generously chipped in on Twitter and went, oh, you were before everybody else. And I was looking back thinking, (laughs) "Mm, here we were. That's a very generous reading of it, actually. So Nine years. So as we record this, yeah, sorry, go on. and obviously there'll be a bit of a lag with this going out, but as we record this, the end of May mm-hmm. 2011, I think. Let me just check. Oh my the, gosh. Um, we've had a website. We've had a 361 podcast for that. The very first episode was the 27th of April 2011, and I think we'd recorded it a couple of weeks previously. Wow. This was where the Lyle started, because actually what we did was we recorded episode two oh that's right so episode two was in two parts and we went to this thing in can with you ewan didn't that's we right. connected creativity yes i invited you yeah 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 yeah. that's right i can't remember entirely why because i'm not sure that we produced any useful content or added anything to the event but we sat on a panel didn't we we did we did we did yeah yeah, yeah. we said words and that's right that seemed to fill the time yeah and at the end of the event we sat on the can beach and i think we were talking and i think we'd all done podcasts before hadn't we in one shape yes. or form yeah but we were talking about how this super group the world deserved rafe blanford with yes smith and mcleod dressing mm-hmm. and so we recorded those two episodes sat around my little handheld audio recorder with the sound of the waves in the background and then with a sort of a, a zoom of excitement i went back to london and about the week after i went to the sony xperia play which was Mm. back when Sony Ericsson were making proper handsets and they had this massive gaming-themed event in a derelict building in the middle of London with a helicopter and, you know, set dressing. It was like something at a big party. And um, 
I interviewed a few people there about that and Dom Jolly, who at the time was like a TV comedian, was there and I chatted to him twice because first time the tape didn't work. <laughs> and then we, we put that episode out first. So yeah, we recorded the, uh, the first couple of episodes uh, in reverse and then on from there. Wow. And even back then, Ben was quite keen on audio quality because one of my favourite memories is Ben in his black dress shoes and suit striding across the beach to go and capture the sound of waves breaking and holding out his Zoom with its fluffy kind of cap on it. And there's a picture of him sort of in a slightly awkward pose, looking like he's being a supplicant to the recording of Ocean Waves. Of course, that I think made it into the first episode as part of our background sound. So even then, Ben was striving for audio fidelity. Excellence in all things that we do, Rafe Bamford. Yes, I mean, Mm -hmm. looking back at it, there are sound libraries that have plenty of recordings of all kinds of different waves. That was entirely unnecessary, but it seemed important at the time. And I remember we were outside, weren't we? Sat around at this beach bar and there was so much noise and things. It sort of felt necessary to sort of explain where we were because Mm. it wasn't normal podcasting territory. Yep. So we've done, oh gosh, we've done so many different shapes of the show over the years, haven't we? We've done some with guests. For a long time, we recorded face-to-face because we would That's right. meet up wherever we were. And for ages, we would go to events and podcast from the event and sort of do live commentary on what we'd seen. I remember going to a bunch of Nokia things, Rafe, I think primarily at your behest. And sort That's of right. Yeah. Basically going to an event where they would launch a phone in an underground nightclub with no mobile signal and no lighting. So you couldn't see the phone. You couldn't use the phone. You couldn't hear yourself think because the DJ was playing. And we went, that is the optimum environment to try and record a podcast. Yes. Those were the days. Yeah. Yeah. And then we spent some time recording in offices. I think it was urine with uh, Nationwide to begin with. No, it's Royal Bank of Scotland. You came to Royal Bank of Scotland. Ah, that's right. Royal Bank of Scotland. And then we sort of decamped a little bit later to Brick Lane with Digitas. We did, yeah. That's right. And then, you know, you abandoned the UK. Yes. Yep. And yeah, we're now on our 18th season. So we've averaged sort of two seasons a year. I think there are some highlight episodes for me. There's only one. Some of the ones at MWC with Ewan's uh, disregard for public transport, for example, definitely goes down in my memory. But I suspect you're going to remind me of another episode, which I prefer to forget. There's only one. Hashtag Rub Rafe is still what people talk to me about. Yeah, Yes, that would be the one. That's right. There's only one. Ben, explain what Rub Rafe was or is. Well, essentially, Rub Rafe was a joke that got out of hand. Let's, um, <laughs> let's be honest about it. But we'd done a whole series on the gig economy and we were talking mm. about fast food deliveries. We were talking about Uber and those sorts of things. So it was around the time where we were sort of marvelling at how amazing it was that smartphones gave you access to all these instant services. And we were talking about, I think it's Urban Massage, wasn't it? That's right. I think they've now been perhaps absorbed into another business, I forget. And this is called Urban or something. Right. Yeah. Because they, they do beauty therapy and all kinds of things now. Yeah. You know, it's great. These professional therapists come out to your office or whatever, and will give you whatever treatments you mm. wanted. And we got in touch with them and they said, yes, they'd love to do one a complimentary treatment uh, so we could try it out and talk about it. And actually, I think the nice thing there was actually that what we did was we um, we said, well, we can't take it for free because we're going to review it. So, you know, charity donations were made. It all felt very grown mm. up. You know, the therapist came in. I think the only point where I wondered what on earth we were doing was when the therapist came in and I realised the only person who didn't know what was going on was the therapist mm. who arrived into a room expecting to give Rafe a massage because that was the appointment. That's the deal. To see us giggling with uh, you know, 400 feet of microphone wire and things hanging off. And I remember thinking I hadn't anticipated as, you know, sort of in my, uh, as we agreed to do the podcast that 
putting a microphone on somebody whilst face down on a massage table wasn't something I had the technical skills to do. So we had Rafe's head facing down through the massage table with one microphone pointing up straight at him yeah. and then another microphone on the side. So when he was on his side, he could talk into it. And then he blinky went, went to sleep anyway during the massage. You were no use to us. That was a, it was a very nice massage. And my lasting souvenir from that is a pair of white towels that I believe Ben bought from John Lewis because he was concerned about <laughs> modesty. Yes. And I was uh, cleaning up the other day and I found them at the bottom of a, a set of drawers and thought, oh, excellent. I need some new towels while I'm in lockdown. I promised you that whilst we would, you know, have a laugh, it wouldn't be at your expense. And mm. so, yes. Mm, we got quite close. Mm. Well, okay. Yeah. Maybe we tipped over that line. But earlier in the day, part of the other test in that series was, I forget what service it was now, but there was a service that you could basically commission people to go and do jobs. TaskRabbit, wasn't it? Mm. TaskRabbit, I think it was. Yeah. And so I, I said, please go to Oxford Street and buy me, you know, all of these different, you know, towels and things. And, you know, we, need, we needed to provide them anyway as part of the deal for the massage. And, Somebody went off and bought them. And I think in the end, the service of the person buying them and biking them up to me probably cost as much as the towels themselves. But it was, a, it was an interesting experience. If you live the Ewan McLeod lifestyle where you suddenly go, I want this thing and cost is of no consequence to me. Come on. We should just point out that we did actually, this was something that I think we trailed over two seasons. Yes. Because I think we challenged Rafe to say, look, you know, if I think if we, it was, was it to do with subscribers or something we said? If it we get, was. Yeah. I stupidly thought there's no way we're going to get more than £100 of Patreon subscribers. <laughs> and then we used it as a lure to bring people in. Mm. And much more rapidly than I had been imagining, it did get to the point where someone said yes. And there was a particular individual who donated a larger amount to get it across the line. Yep. And I have deep suspicion that was purely to see my discomfort with having a massage on a podcast. But I think what was interesting after that, We've gone through several formats as well. Mm. There was the kind of the live format where we often went into a lot of detail on one topic. And um, in the last season or two, we've kind of explored the notion of try to be shorter episodes. We haven't always matched that. <laughs> we won't this evening either. We've gone all remote because of you and being in um, Copenhagen, Ben and I often got together, but now we're all in different places. Mm. and have gone to sort of 10 to 15 minutes on a topic. And I'd actually say thank you to everyone who's fed back on that because it seems to have gone down quite well and enables us to cover a little bit more ground. And if I think probably the biggest contrast was we, we did start it in the mind of a mobile podcast, mm. but now we talk about mobile and the things around it and we spend just as much time talking about being vacuum cleaner influencers as we, I think, very little time talking about mobile handsets. The show's evolved as we have, hasn't it? And also, I, I think over time, we've perhaps got a little bit more relaxed that this has increasingly become a conversation between three friends about things that interest us. And the nice thing is that because it's now something that we do purely for the joy of it, purely for the fun of it, if it's not interesting to people, then, you know, sorry and move on, but we're not too upset. And it's been nice because actually that conversation flow is the same conversation flow you have with your friends mm. and, you know, People regularly write in and say, oh, you know, tell me more about this because you start off talking about vacuum cleaners and then you start talking about smart homes or whatever. And, you know, I think most of our listeners have been with us for quite a long time. If you look at the mm. stats, the listener levels are static, but also it's the same people who engage. So thank you if you've listened from day one, but also hopefully, you know, kind of your, your needs and views have evolved as ours have. But yeah, nine years. Can I just point out that, that um, the Rob Rafe episode, which, you know, I think is, if you haven't come across it, 
and uh, you do enjoy hearing from Mr. Blanford here. Just don't. Uh, you can find it if you search Rob Rafe, one word, you just search on the website. It's season 13, episode five. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ewan. Nice one. No. It's tattooed on my arm, that number actually, yes. Exactly, because I think a lot of Rafe's colleagues, uh, I, I, there, there were people, I did feel there were people queuing around the uh, conference room because we, we did this at his office, trying to peer in. Just, we did have to have some security to make sure that, you know, they, people wanted video of this. I was surprised quite how easy it was to extract that much money from primarily Rafe's colleagues. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a, a good wheeze. Yes. We should move on. Nine years of this. We're going to keep doing it as long as it's fun. Hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we have a break from time to time, but uh, the feedback is uh, that people enjoy the conversations. So we'll keep doing it. I enjoy it. I mean, I'll just be sat here with the mics and we'll forget to record it one day, as I suspect. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. We've got a quick bit of follow-up. This is going to be a long show because of all the extra chat this week, but a quick bit of follow-up. Ewan McLeod, Roborock Vacuum Cleaners, Rafe Blanford, put that face away. I know you're fed up talking about vacuum cleaners. No, these are important because it's it's, it's, it's about the daily life, Blanford. Okay, so I think I said in the last episode, we've ordered two. Roborocks. S5 Maxes. S5 Maxes, yes, of course, obviously, following our dear leader, Mr. Smith here, as the vacuum influencer extraordinaire. Just to get them to Oman was a little bit complicated because it's very easy in, the, in Europe to order these things. I went on to Alibaba, I found a guy or a company that sells them and uh, did the deal. And I had two, one for downstairs in the villa here and one for upstairs. And I have to say, they are How the other half live tell you how the other half live. Come on, come on. It is, it is really, really, really good technology. Because I've already got one back in the UK, nicknamed Hoovy. that's the children call him Hoovy. We haven't really come up, come up names for these ones yet. Uh, I, I, I'm so used to dealing with the technology, I think they were deployed and live in about five minutes. Yep. Five minutes after opening. No, I did let them charge. I had to say to everybody, just wait, let's just let them charge. But um, it's seamless, really smart technology, very impressive. Love ours, it's doing work overtime as we're in lockdown here in the UK, so mm. the house is filthy half the time because, of course, you know, the cleaners that we have come in cleaning aren't, aren't here and we're here all the time making the place a mess, especially with the child. So he's, he's uh, Robbie the robot, as no, he's called in our houses, yeah, yeah. working overtime in our house as well. But yeah, it's not going to replace doing cleaning for you, but the quality of life improvement from having those is so great. You know what? One interesting observation is because, you know, I got the RoboVac, the Eufy RoboVac, which is still great, but I just can't stand the randomness because of the RoboRocks, which they're not random. They're scanning everything. It's so nice to see that. Yeah, route planning. And yeah. I love the fact that every so often they upgrade them as well. So they do cleverer things, you know, so they yes. recognize rooms and you can zone them and that kind of stuff. Mm. So I think the RoboRocks are right on the cusp of the smart technology at the bottom end of the price because you can go and spend thousands on some mm. of the Roomba models, but these have all the bits I think that you need without the kind of too many of the nice to haves that really blow the Roomba price up. Just a, just a little question, maybe for another episode, just do I need a Roomba, no, an iRobot mop, a robot mopping thing? Just a question for later. Thinking about it, thinking heavily about it. I think we should come back to that one. First question I would ask, well, my first thought on that one is, I think the Roomba mops work best when they're paired up with Roomba vacuums to yes, do yeah. joined up things. So. Yeah. We'll see. We'll talk about it some more, but... I'll add that to the backlog. The very lightweight uh, mopping stuff on these Roborocks, I think, is excellent as well. And just, can we also... We do need to get an update on the uh, tapestry, the Blandford tapestry here. I can see it in the background. I have not had a lot of time, so I've progressed to a fourth colour, but that's about it, and I will share future updates. Okay. Rafe is just depicting the foes here, smitten, smote, smited, 
I, you'll have to help me out off the air, Rafe, on the, uh, the verbiage there. Smitted. Smitted. Smited. Smitten. Smitten. Your roost stand has arrived. Yes. Oh, I'm really pleased with it. Thank you for the recommendation. It's uh, fantastic. And I, I, I used it for the first time today because like you guys, I've just on conference call, video calls the whole day. So it's much, much better for posture. I should have got one a while ago. Thank you. If you're working from home, as I think nearly everybody is at the moment, and you only have a laptop and you don't have an external screen, get it up on a stand, get the top of the screen at eye level. I didn't for a long time and suffered a lot of discomfort as a result. And this is a nice, flexible, portable stand. There are others available, but just use something because it's so important. And um, it's weird because not having the involuntary exercise of doing our commute, like I find that all the aches and pains are worse because... You know, like you're mm. just sat all day, no moving, no time on a train, no walking around. What, by the way, we, yeah, we do want to know, how are you? Last time we spoke, you were overflowing with praise about your ridiculously overpriced iPad magic. It's magic because it takes money off you, keyboard. <laughs> Still love it. We added the cost up, right? It was more or similar to, you know, the top of the range, I think almost top of the range, MacBook Pro 13-inch, when you put everything together. Absolutely. But yeah, go on. Still absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. I've, I've got a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and I've got a 12.9-inch iPad Pro with the keyboard on it. They're both sat next to each other on the counter. I could pick either up. I am now just defaulting to the iPad all the time. It's like discovering a completely new device because I wasn't using my iPad that much. And I was beginning to think that having it was a bit of a waste of time because I only really use it on planes and stuff when I'm sat, you know, browsing. And, and I, even when I was traveling, I was tending to get the laptop out on my lap because I needed to do work and work often means typing accurately. Absolutely love it. It is amazing how mature iPad OS is already with a trackpad and a keyboard. I'm not interested in, oh, Apple said they'd never do it, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. It is objectively good. We're on a journey. Who cares what they say? It, we are past all the, you know, he said, she said ecosystem stuff. Is it a good tool? Yes, it's brilliant. I really, really like it. And I think the only thing that will stop me making it my 100% full-time device is a few of the apps, particularly I'm finding the Microsoft Office ones, are brilliant up to the point where they run out of features. So there's a few things that the iPad versions of Microsoft Office can't do. And they're frequently things I want to do. So I was using PowerPoint during the week to put the deck together and I couldn't manipulate slides in the way that I'd learned to on the full version of the product. But so, so good. Really love it. And actually, I think that there are quite a lot of people for whom an iPad and a keyboard are an entirely viable alternative to a laptop. I have heard some reviews of the 11-inch version though, and a lot of people saying that the smaller size isn't as good to use. You lose a bit. This is great to use because it's a nice, close enough to full-size keys. So we'll do some follow-up on that. But if you've got the 12.9 already and you're in the sort of the prosumer market, get it. No brainer. Rafe Blanford spent all of that segment making faces about robots, making faces about overpriced laptop stands, and now making faces about overpriced iPad keyboards. I'm now going to ask you about how he's been influenced by Ben, because I think you've got a a roost stand. Can you confirm Ben's recommendation there? Yes, it's very good. I'm thoroughly impressed. In fact, we've got to a point whereby Hetty, my wife, you know, routinely is saying, what, what did Ben say about that? <laughs> you know, when we're talking about buying stuff, which is, it's mildly irritating, <laughs> but also quite reassuring because, you know, basically I know that 
if I come to say, oh, we should buy this infrequently, it's an expensive whatever it is. Oh, what does Ben say? So, well, he's got three of them or whatever. <gasps> okay, okay. So actually it's quite a useful thing. I think um, Ben's status as an influencer has really been cemented by the Robo Rocks. Yes. And now that means you're able to sneak quite a few other things into the um, purchase arena without being questioned. So I think you should be saying thank you to Ben for his... I am uh, saying thank you. Thank you, Ben. Facilitation. Well, actually, after this show, I'm going to WhatsApp Ewan's wife to make sure that all the things he claims (laughs) I've endorsed are things I've endorsed. (laughs) Oh, but Ben said we should definitely buy eight bottles of that wine. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. 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 Yeah. Ben says these pork pies are the best you can get. You should really have them. I basically, I just we should yeah. move on. We're well over time already. So every week we talk about three topics in about ten to fifteen minutes. We're going to be a bit over this week because of all the extra anniversary chat. But let's try and get our three topics in. And first up, I wanted to talk to you about smart lighting this week. Mm. We talked about smart home stuff. In fact, we had a whole season on smart home stuff. And over that time, I think Rafe, you did loads of, of, of sort of smart lighting and bulbs and that kind of stuff. And I kind of got a bit frustrated because I couldn't do all the things I wanted to. I kept saying to you, I think, how irritated I was with the lights in our house. The switches were in the wrong place and the circuits, you know, you turn one thing on and the lights in the wrong place came on and it just wasn't right for us. Hmm. And so over time, I've been buying loads of bits and I've used the opportunity of lockdown to kind of finally install all of those bits. So this is going to be Interesting, Ben, because when we were talking about this before, we kind of identified that there are a couple of different ways to go, especially when we're talking about kind of after install. And that was sort of going for relays in the switches or potentially in the ceiling, or you could replace the bulbs. And then we looked at smart light switches. And I know you went through various different options. I'm kind of curious what you landed up on and why you did that. And I suspect, judging by some of the comments I've heard in the back channel, it's not been a 100% smooth process, but I can reassure all the listeners that Ben is not looking like he's electrocuted himself. So he has survived the process. That's it. Yeah. I mean, was there some effing and jeffing? Ben? It has been frustrating. It has been deeply, deeply frustrating. Oh, dear. All right. So, what were you trying to do? Yeah, take us, but what were you trying to do? So, we wanted to do. We. We. we? Yeah. Okay, I. <laughs> Just checking. We wanted to do two things. So we've got large open plan ground floor of our house and those lights were way too bright. They were uncomfortable. They'd installed far too many lights far too close together when they built the house. And so to have the lights on was really too bright of an evening. It was uncomfortable. We were turning sort of lights off and just having lights from the other side of the room were mm. enough to light up the kitchen. And Also, they were wired onto these circuits that were sort of poorly configured. So you'd have to turn on a quarter of the room, but it wasn't really a sensible, usable bit. So, which is a very boring way of saying, effectively, I was being very fussy about how the lights worked. So I wanted to sort that. And the other thing was that I wanted to add some genuine smartness. So, for example, when we came home, the porch lights would come on and those sorts of things, because we have some really dumb infrared sensors out the front of the house and they'd turn on every time a car went past and really irritate everybody. So I wanted something a bit cleverer than that. And at Christmas, it worked brilliantly. We had geolocation on our phones and as you came home, it turned on all the Christmas lights and, you know, my little boy was delighted because you'd just be pulling into the drive and the whole house would light up with Christmas lights. It was like a little prototype that proved that that was reliable, right. you know, that coming home, it would turn the right lights on. So to do all of that, it required... So nearly all the lights in downstairs, I've pulled out the ceiling now because they were either halogen lights, which were incredibly expensive to run. The heat coming off them were, was mm. horrendous. 
So we had to pull out halogen lights and they all had the wrong type of fittings. They had old fashioned fittings. So they all needed to come out of the ceiling. So I had to rewire 30 odd light fittings with 30. Yeah. Jeez. New light fittings. And that was an exercise in frustration because I bought some. I bought a big box. I did loads of homework on what the right size was so that I wouldn't have to drill new holes in the ceiling. I wanted to take the old one out, put the new one in and have it the same form factor so it would fit. Got all those, spent an hour wiring the first one in because the cables are so tight. It was really fiddly. Put the Philips Hue bulb in because, of course, in the kitchen, we were going to have color changing lights to mm. be you know, bright in the daytime, warm in the evening time. Put it back in the ceiling and the hue bulb doesn't fit properly because it has this very curved shape lens on the front of the light. Oh, I very nearly threw the whole shooting match out the window. Oh dear. So all of those fittings went back to the shop and I've replaced them with some new ones. So a whole second batch have come in. And the nice thing is now that for a long time, if you wanted to have hue lights, which I did, which were the color changing bulbs, people give you advice about the fittings that you needed because these bulbs, particularly that was called the GU10s, which in the UK are sort of the little spotlight ones that you would fit into the ceiling. In the US, they, mm. they use a different form factor. They weren't standard size, and so they wouldn't fit into most people's fittings because they would poke out, they were too uh. long. But then they redesigned them recently. So all the advice that you read online is wrong now because now these bulbs are standard size, except in a standard bulb, the glass is completely flat. So lots of light fittings, particularly ones that need to be fireproof, which mine do because they're between floors of a house, they have a piece of glass to give a fire protectiveness. And this piece of glass doesn't sit well with the curved lens of a bulb. So they all went back to the shop. Oh my gosh, again. That was the first set. Got a second set in, wired them all in. So it took me about six hours to change all these fittings, wire them in, get them correct, you know, make sure that they test each one individually. And I was thinking, God, I'm really glad this task is over. Put them all in. And I'm standing in the kitchen and there's just this kind of hissing oh, noise. No. You know, yeah, like just I a, do. Yeah. is that my ears? Oh, yeah. And I had 30 Hue bulbs, which Oof. to my defense, I bought on Prime Day. So right. I had, you know, they were expensive, but I had a substantial discount off the list price because that's hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth mm. of bulbs. And I would say every single one hisses. When the light is on, i.e. The, the light is powered, but it's not emitting any light. So you've used the Hue app to turn it down to nothing. Uh-huh. It hisses. It's got like this capacitor hiss. And I'd say all of them hiss and 50% of them, I've literally got a pile <laughs> of them on my kitchen counter right now, hiss so loudly I had to take them out of the ceiling. Oh so, dear. I am. So wait a minute. I thought you were going to end the story by saying, and it's done. No, it's not. So you, so you've, you, you, what, you've actually not done this then? Well, how, how, do you, how are you lighting the ceiling at the minute? So what I've done is I've consolidated all the hue bulbs in my kitchen, and I've put just regular dumb bulbs in some places that are less important that were going to have these hue bulbs. I've just thrown some dumb bulbs in as a placeholder. And I'm talking to Philips customer service about replacing 24 of the batch I bought because they all hiss so Only badly. 24. There's some others that don't. Out of a batch of 30. The other ones do hiss, but it's quiet enough that once they're up in the ceiling, you can't hear them. You have to hold it up to your ear to hear the hiss. So, oh, yeah, dear. That's been a fun. And of course, you know, you, you know when you Google and you think, God, just this is really weird. And you Google and you just get this page of results and your heart sinks because you realise, oh, no, this is a known problem. 
yeah, it's with a thing. things. Yeah. And it's pages and pages and pages of people saying these things hiss. And <laughs> it's very, very high frequency. So some people can't hear it, but I can, and it drives me absolutely mad. So it's a known defect with those spotlights, Philips Hughes. They're replacing them. The newer models are less prone to it, but apparently there's been some press in Germany to say that there's a full redesign of that product coming in about a month or two's time because they've had so many of these bulbs returned because they don't perform well. When they're emitting light, they're fine. They function absolutely brilliantly. But when you turn them down to zero illumination, so they're powered, ready to come back on, but they're not emitting any light, they hiss. So that's driving me mad. So right now I've got a kitchen that's full of the acceptably not hissy ones. And (laughs) I've come to two conclusions. One is that the guy on Reddit that I was reading about six months ago who said, don't use smart bulbs, use smart light fittings and just have dumb bulbs in the ceiling was right. (laughs) Because every time I've taken one of these bulbs out and moved it into the better place, or I've taken it and discarded it because it hisses and replaced it with another one, I've had to go through add the bulb, reinstall it, add it to the groups, add it to my voice assistant, you know, update all my routines for all my automations. And it has been very, very slow. So right now I am between sort of two places, but I'm thinking that what I'm going to do actually is reduce the number of places I use Philips Hue bulbs. That's a shame. Mm. Yeah, I'm really gutted about that. The thing is that they may get better later on, but the administration overhead is so high. So I think what I'm going to do is just only use them in a room where I must have individual control of each bulb. And that's just in the kitchen where it's a, it's a really big room and we need to be able to have different lighting zones. And then in the rest of the house, I'm now undecided, but I'm actually thinking that what I'll do is rather than putting in smart bulbs incrementally over time, which was my plan, I'm probably just going to use something like Lightwave RF, which is mm. a very UK-centric product, but it's where you put all of the logic in the switch in the wall. And what I'll do is I'll replace all the existing lights with ones that are dimmable. Because having done it now, I know how easy it is to do. And I might as well go the whole hog and do the whole house all in one go. Because what I've learned is incrementally doing little bit by little bit by little bit means that nothing ever really completely fully works. Can you use IKEA or some of the other light FX or other brands? There are other lighting brands. So I, I could get rid of all the hue bulbs and I could use Trad Free or I could use one of those others. Mm. But a lot of people who are using those bulbs with hue hubs there are significant limitations of things that hue bulbs can do that others can't in terms of the level of control you have over them, firmware Mm -hmm. updates and those sorts of things. And also there is the objective thing of, I have 30 hue bulbs downstairs bought because they were the best ones. So I think I'm going to return the ones I can, update the ones I can't where I have to. But I'm also thinking that it's becoming apparent that, I think Rafe, you said this, that when you start to make permanent decisions about what you fit into the kind of the fabric of the building, it begins to become much more of a sort of a time and money investment. And I'm thinking that I've had enough problems with these things now that I'm going to move to a model where I don't have to hire an electrician to fit this stuff for me. Like I can plug a new switch into the wall. If it doesn't work or I don't like it or we want to change it, I can do that myself rather than, you know, some of the more complicated, ambitious plans I had originally. So yeah, it's going to be interesting, but uh, Suffice it to say, I think the Hue products are really attractive and like all the standard lamps work really well. We've Mm. got loads of lamps around the house and they work really brilliantly. But the point is, as soon as they become the main light source in your house, they just need to work reliably. And there's some stuff that they need to do, like turning on and off quickly and efficiently and not making a noise and not requiring 20 minutes of configuration when you change a bulb that I had 
underestimated. And I think the kind of the hassle factor was a real surprise to me because you assume these products are mature. When Rafe, we said, didn't we? Like, you know, oh, these products are mature now. You're a late adopter on this stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think it's that point on the adoption curve where lots of people have had them, but then going all in for your lighting system is still a little bit problematic. I mean, for what it's worth, I've stuck with doing it all via smart light bulbs, mainly because I didn't want to go to the hassle of doing the light fittings. But also I looked at the light switches and didn't have the right wiring system in my flat. But what I have found is I try to go a slightly Mm. cheaper route and I use the kind of Lightify, which is an Osram brand for smart light bulbs, but discovered they weren't particularly compatible with Hue. And the other annoyance I've had is they sometimes unlink themselves or, you know, it stops working on the voice commands. And, you know, in one room that's happened and I haven't bothered switching back to the voice control because actually in the bathroom, it's fine just to pull on and off the cord to switch the lights on. I have tried to maintain it in the kind of main living and kitchen room. But what I did do was replace the Lightify bulbs with Philips Hue, and that has been more reliable. I've actually had more challenges with smart things seemingly resetting itself or not being uh, connected to the voice system. So I've just got to spend some time one weekend tracking that down. I would still say if you've got the kind of time or the inclination, putting the relays into the switches themselves, especially if those switches line up with what you want to turn on and off at one time, that still probably gives the best option. And that's what I've done for my parents in one of the room they refurbished. And it just works really well, really reliably, really seamlessly. What you don't get is the control over the colours and things like that, because actually it's really set up around a basic dimming switch plus on off, which is fine and that works okay. But if you want to go for the colours as Ben has, like that full solution still requires quite a bit of thought to get it right. One of the realisations I had is like the, the thing that I did, which I loved and I wanted to replicate elsewhere, is in our bedroom, we've got these smart things buttons and you press the button and a little routine runs that says, what time of day is it? And if it's in the evening, then it turns the lights on, gentle, warm light, and it just dimly lights the room. If it's first thing in the morning, they come on daylight coloured, nice and bright. And so basically they're these context sensitive lights. Very nice. And it's fantastic. And there's the nice logic that if you press it, you know, if one light is on, it'll turn them both off and this kind of stuff. That setup is really working exactly how I like it. And it's so nice to be able to have, you know, sort of bright daylight when you're waking up and that kind of stuff. It's a quality of life thing. But I think scaling that up has been more challenging, certainly. And what I'd say, Rafe, is one of the things I'm considering, and we'll move on in a second, but one of the things I'm considering as well is that the simple way to replicate that is the dumb bulbs you can buy now have advanced to the point where they now mimic the old um, the filament bulbs. Mm. So actually, you can now get LED bulbs that when you turn them up to full brightness are quite bright and daylight coloured. And as you dim them down, the colour becomes warmer and warmer because one of the effects that people complain about, one of the reasons people like hue bulbs rather than normal dimmable LEDs is that you don't get that warmth of light in the dim. As the sun sets, people associate a lower light level with a warmer colour temperature Mm. and it feels quite sort of alien. It's sort of an uncanny valley kind of effect of it's dim light, but it's the wrong colour and it's kind of disconcerting. Whereas you can now buy bulbs that change colour temperature as they dim and you can't control that but it does mimic old light fittings. And I think that maybe is something that I'll look at around the rest of the house because I'm going to follow Rafe's lead, I think, and go all in on smart switches and probably just in one ecosystem as well. 
the pressure of trying to link up Hue in one place and different control in another, the realities of the maintenance and the overhead on that has become apparent. So watch this space, but it's been a journey, but I could not believe, I mean, literally, I think I've got 400 pounds worth of bulbs sat on a counter downstairs and they are in my book unusable because they hiss. Wow. It's just yeah. mind numbing. Oh, yeah. Really, really disappointed with Philips Hue and, you know, their customer services are very helpful, but also- The rest of the Hues are okay that we should see for balance, right? I, I use the other bulbs quite perfectly. The other bulbs are fine, absolutely. But of course, in the UK particularly, these spotlights, the selling point here is that they're rip and replace for in-ceiling mounts. Yeah, you know, so yeah. if you have modern in-ceiling mounts, they fit now. Okay, we should uh, move on because I've probably spoken far too long about that. Rafe Blanford, we are all going outside now for our government mandated, no, sorry, government allowed one hour of exercise. And I wanted to talk to you about finding good places to walk. You are the podcast's walking correspondent. And I've recently been looking around for ways to plan routes and to discover public footpaths because we want to go and explore. We want to go and enjoy our outside time, you know, so make the most of the outside. So what should we be doing? Uh, It's a great question. I mean, I'm still a big advocate of using a paper map, especially when it comes to planning, because there's something I I just like about having paper maps. I'm just going to get that out there straight away from an ordnance survey point of view. There's nothing nicer than being able to unfold a map. And when I go on holiday... Stop, Mark. Just edit that out. Absolute nonsense no one blanford no one is listening to this podcast to hear about you chatting about paper maps move on when i go on holiday i still like to buy a paper map however however pairing that up with from where where do you buy your paper maps stanford's which is a map shop in london you go to a map shop i do and buy paper maps yes uh, oh mr blanford i saw you coming anyway <laughs> 100 um, pounds of maps and i would say there's still no For what purpose are you what was the last map you bought and when? I bought some maps when I was going to the Faroe Islands uh, last summer. Okay, all right, go on. Go and so but you're buying maps, but what do you buy? First of all, I mean, let's, let's not worry about whether they're paper or not. I mean, Ewan is right and you're wrong on that. But Thank you. if so many people are listening to this and they're not familiar with trying to you know, plan walks and exercise yeah. using a map, what should we be buying? You should be going for the smaller scale maps or the large scale, depending on the way you look at it which in the UK is one to 25,000. I always think of them as the orange maps. Those are actually the Explorer maps as they're branded. And then the red or the pink maps are the land ranging maps at one to 50,000. You can use those for walking, but one to 25,000, you basically get two centimetres or so, I think, for every uh, kilometre. And it just means you can read all the information. And I, I still think there's no substitute for learning how to read a map, what a footpath looks like, and plotting your own route around things. And particularly in your local area, you can pick up on you know circular walks and look at the contours, work out how hilly it's going to be, whether you're going to be walking through woods and things like that, you know, and read off the symbols, find the churches where you'll get a good view, streams, everything else. But I acknowledge that is a little bit of a glutton for punishment approach. Do, wait, wait, wait. Do you use a compass? I tend not to use a compass because I pair it with a smartphone with the maps loaded on it. And very often I don't actually take the paper map out with me. I'll just take the phone. But for planning, it's the bigger screen, the ability to see a wider area and pick up on everything. And I just like it. And it's, you know, a bit like ebooks versus paper books. So there's something of the map romantic in me, I guess. 
Have you got maps in that cupboard behind you, in that shelf? Have you got maps? There, yeah, there are some maps there. Anyway, there are some amazing map apps. In the UK, I think we're really right. lucky to have access to the Ordnance Survey, which produces some great-looking maps and actually, kind of, I would say, world-leading in terms of the symbols and the way that the colour is done and everything else. They have an official app, the OS Map app, and for £3 a month, you get access to all the maps, 1 to 25,000, 1 to 50,000 scale. And what's interesting, if you buy a paper map now, you will also get given a digital license in perpetuity for that map that you bought. Oh, that's good. That's good. So actually, it's one of the places where kind of the rights works really nicely for me because I don't mind buying a paper map for an area I'm going to visit a lot. I do also pay the annual subscription. But if you just want it in your local area, that's going to be good enough and you won't need the monthly subscription. The app itself, I mean, yes, it clearly displays the different maps and you can zoom in and out, but you can also use it to find routes all over the UK. It's got thousands of ready-made routes built into it, and some of those are collected from professionals, some of those are crowdsourced. You can also set up your own route. You can download the maps so they're usable offline. It's got various things like a kind of augmented reality view, so you can hold it up and work out what the local towns are, what the hill is which is just a nice way of being able to identify things. And you can also visualize the routes in 3Ds because much like Google Maps, it's kind of got different layers, one of which is kind of a satellite view, which when overlaid on a relief map or the contours, the height, you can then kind of get a 3D sense of what it's going to look like. So that's a great way of understanding what the elevation gain and loss on a, a map is going to be. However, I do have a tip I think it's well worth looking at a company and an app called View Ranger, which has actually been around a long time. I remember using them on the Nokia Symbia phones, and they have those same features. I think their kind of peak identification with what they call the Skyline AR is a bit better than the OS. They also do live tracking with Buddy Beacon. So if you're walking with someone who's also got it, you can keep track of each other, which is great if you're walking in a bigger family group. There's a find the way with what it calls auto plot. You can then kind of record your route and photos along the way and kind of export that afterwards. That's in a premium version that costs £5 a year and they will use OpenStreetMap and a couple of other sources. So you can kind of get going with just that. But you can also get the Ordnance Survey Maps. And again, that's £25 a year to kind of have unlimited uses and it all works offline. And I remember paying, I think, something like £200 plus to get the license that was to download and have all the maps so it coming down to 25 quid a year. And of course, it updates in real time. The Ordnance Survey is constantly updating its maps. So those would be my top tips. And there are loads of places you can find walks in your local area. So those are the two ones in terms of consuming maps. ViewRanger, by the way, will also do digital maps in about 15 or 20 other countries, walking maps and other scales as well. Yeah. So a couple of things. We've defaulted to using the Ordnance Survey app for the same reason, Rafe. And I, and I started off thinking, I'm just going to use Google Maps. But actually, I think when you're starting to go off roads and you're starting to go onto footpaths and things like that, Google Maps quickly runs out of ideas and is not a good way to navigate. It can't plot routes, although it will show some paths, particularly in sort of parks and that kind of stuff. It doesn't show routes across fields and things. So you do need an app that's dedicated to walking. And we've been using the Ordnance Survey one I really liked having the GPS piece as well, because yeah. being an inexperienced walker, standing at the gate of a field and knowing that there's a public footpath that runs across this field and goes somewhere, 
it can be a bit daunting to say, well, I'm going to walk across this, what feels like private land. Am I entitled to be here? Am I going the right way? Am I going to upset anybody with, you know, being where I shouldn't? And to be able to see that I am actually on the footpath by using the Ordnance Survey map. And then we were out the other day and we came to this gate. There's a big sign that says public footpath left. And I wanted to go right and there was no sign and that kind of stuff. But looking at the map, we could say, oh, actually, the public footpath does go right. We're allowed to do the routes that we wanted to. It's just such a confidence booster to be able to do that. And on that Ordnance Survey map, we'd use that route tracing feature. So the other thing was as well that we were able to plan a route that we knew would be comfortable because, of course, we're recreational walkers. This is not supposed to be some kind of, you know, kind of physical challenge. So I traced the route with my finger and the map snaps to the nearest footpath, traced a nice circular route, and it was able then to tell me how much up I was going to do, how much down I was going to do. I knew I was going to walk, you know, four kilometres in total. So that was really great. And like you, View Ranger also came up. View Ranger was great, actually. If you're walking with grown-ups and you want to go and see something interesting rather than just doing exercise, View Ranger has more of those community-sourced routes. So I'd recommend those because it gives you a bit of narrative about walk down here and you can see this. And that's great, which the Ordnance Survey map has less of. Other top tip, the Ordnance Survey app will offer you the opportunity to subscribe to the maps through subscriptions on your device. Don't do that. Do it online and pay directly through the website because it's markedly cheaper. That £24 yeah. or £25 pounds a year is the pay direct price, where I think if you go through the app, you will pay the Apple tax 20 or 30% more. Yeah. And you can then also obviously use it on the website as well, which is quite helpful for planning ahead of time. I will give a shout out for View Ranger, and it has similar to something Google Maps introduced, but I think View Ranger was first. They have an AR mode that if you're following a route, it will actually put the arrows down in front of you. So it will quite literally show you the route to go across the field. The reason I'm such a big fan of OS Maps is kind of the point you made. It's not just got the footpaths, it's got the shape of the fields and the woods. So it's very easy to work out where a footpath goes by kind of orientating yourself by looking at the shape of things around you, whether that's the field or the woods. So you go, oh, I know I need to go into that corner. And in the UK, there are a vast network of local footpaths. And sometimes it's not that obvious where they go. We're not talking about kind of gravel paths. These are just routes through fields and saying, oh, I've got to head to that corner. And you come across this style that's hidden in the hedge, which if you're not confident about it or not used to doing you are not going to find just by looking ahead. And it is, as you said, Ben, that kind of confidence. And the GPS will get you there within a meter. And sometimes even when you get within a meter, you kind of have to duck through the bramble bush or something else to get there. And when you're doing a new route for the first time, that can be really, really helpful. So big fan of using kind of GPS and the maps on the phone. It's just one of those things. It's a better experience than trying to do it with a compass and a paper map, but still like the paper map for the planning. My boy just he wants to go and explore now. And we've lived in this house for seven years. And I didn't realize that less than a kilometer up the road, there's a huge site of special scientific interest where there's loads of butterflies that only live in this particular area. A big hill, an old fashioned telegraph station. There was loads of interesting things to see. And I mean, in lockdown, we have been so desperate for fun things, some novelty, some interesting things to do. And going out and exploring and letting him hold the map and say, Yes, we're going to go up here. It's been just such a pleasurable experience. And, you know, people who live in cities will have a different experience of this. But nevertheless, you know, I think there's enough of us who live close to some footpaths that actually, frankly, I would speculatively buy 25 quid's worth of maps and just see what's out there. Because if it just means you can go and walk a more interesting route to get your exercise while you're out and about, or if it means that you could go a different way or 
have in mind somewhere to bring the family over weekend or something like that. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Well, as I say, if you're not convinced by the £25, spend the eleven ninety nine to get the map of your local area and make sure you get one that comes with the digital download and then you'll get that digital download for the area, which will, unless you're unfortunate enough to live on the edge of the map, the chances are it will give you 10, 20 kilometres all around your home. What are you doing? Are you going outside, Rio McLeod? Well, I'm just wondering, do you guys have special shoes? I know Blanford no. has a special shoes that you wore at the Nokia, you know, and the Mobile World Congress. Well, walking boots and welly boots if it's muddy and wet. This is my thing is I don't want it to be a big drama. I don't want to get dressed up. Don't want special lycra trousers. Don't want anything of that. Have you got a special stick? No, don't want special sticks. Like I know people love that. And if you love that, then that's fine. But I just want to know where can we go that's going to be accessible and fun. So, you know, I'm not going to go that way because it's up a massive hill. And I'm not going to go that way because you can't link up that route and it's going to take us you know, an hour to walk home. Oh, yeah. You know, those are the things that matter when you've got a five-year-old. You know, not some kind of ramblers association, kind of nerdy, you know, sort of joy of maps kind of experience. Uh, in answer to your question, uh, it's 36, 37 degrees. So not much walking being done outside in, during the day. Right. Okay. <laughs> Don't go outside. Okay, let's move on then. You and McLeod, this is your time to shine, actually. Really? Video conferencing apps. We are all home and everybody is Zooming. Yes. Should they be? Uh, well, I, I've been reading all about the, the various different technical issues that Zoom has been having and people what, what's it called when they the zoom crashing zoom bombing zoom bombing yeah this is unfortunate I, I i haven't experienced it it's not been an issue for us yet yet fair enough but i, I can't imagine it being that annoying i suppose you i suppose it would be quite annoying but you know what we've just been doing zoom with the families and it's been working perfectly we did a, a zoom quiz my brother-in-law decided to do a, a zoom quiz for the children all the children in the family which is excellent that went down very well and we need to do more of that and then for Office purposes, Teams, Microsoft Teams has been performing really, really well. I'm very impressed with that. I've been using Teams for years, not Slack. It's just because the various different companies I've been working for, they, you know, for various different policies and reasons, it's been Microsoft all the way. So I've really enjoyed and I am enjoying using the Teams. And I know Slack is pretty cool, but that's not a choice at the moment. So in lieu of that, I, I have been living in Microsoft Teams for business purposes and then um, Zoom and then FaceTime, WhatsApp and so on for the, uh, the families. It's quite, quite straightforward. Uh, we haven't tried House Party or those kind of those related services. Have you, have you tried those apps? So I've used Zoom. Mm. Earlier in the year, we needed to set up a bunch of video conferencing because we were building offices at opposite ends of the UK. And we needed to provide you know, lots more opportunities for video conferencing, one-to-one, room-to-room, team-to-team. And so we tried... Blue Jeans and Zoom, which were sort of clienty versions. We tried Jitsi, which is a little bit like Zoom, but sort of open source where you could host your own server. We tried Cisco WebEx, which is kind of the go-to-meeting mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. Oh, sidebar. Have you seen you can invite a farm animal to your meeting? No. I only love it because of the name. It's Goat to Meeting. Oh, oh dear. No, I mean, seriously, there's a farmer who you, you've, I think it's, it's ridiculous, like it's $100 or something, you can have a llama or a goat attend your meeting. <laughs> it's total nonsense. We tried all of these things. I think the thing I was curious with you is, you know, because we and the people listening to this will be fairly savvy, uh, you know, willing to wrangle software and that kind of mm, stuff. But mm. I was horrified with loads of these options that what starts off with, oh, just download the video conferencing app and sign in. You go, yes, click, I'm mm. in a meeting. You just suddenly descend into this sea of complexity because, Oh, you want to share your screen, right? You'll need to do some special things. Yes. Oh, you want to share the audio from your shared screen as well. Oh, you'll need to do some things. 
oh, so-and-so's turned on the blur my background feature and it keeps getting it wrong and it's blurring his face out now. Mm, yeah. Or I want to use the USB webcam that I've plugged in, not the one built into my laptop, you know, and these kinds of things. And it was just very strange, you know, kind of how lots of people are very focused on the security piece, understandably. That's important, yeah. And also lots of people were focused on sort of convenience factor. And like it seems like Zoom has won this time because Zoom has become a byword for video conferencing Mm -hmm. in all of the conversations I'm in. And people seem to sort of assume that you'll download the app. But I was really surprised how all the other stuff gets in the way. You know, the reliability of the apps, you know, do they crash to how do they handle bad connections and that kind of stuff. And actually, I wanted to make a little plea and, and Rafe, I'd be interested to see how you handle this in your environment. I want to make a little plea that actually nearly every video conferencing app out there is good enough from a sound and video point of view. There are some that are better than others, but they're all, most of the big names are pretty good. What you should really be thinking about when you're thinking about video conferencing apps is how easy is it to use and how easy is it to configure to do what you want to do? Because nine times out of 10, we will be the ones saying, oh, just download the app and install it and we can do a video conference instead of having that meeting. And what you're doing is opening up a lifetime of IT support with the grandparents, with the non-technical people in your office. Mm. And I mean, no disrespect to them because they're excellent people. We had administrative staff setting up meetings and opening video conferencing in in a meeting room so that you you could do your meeting. And it was taking them ages to configure it up and to make sure the settings were correct and to make the external speaker work and the microphone work and all that kind of stuff because it suddenly gets very, very complicated. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it sort of applies to kind of AV stuff more generally in those office or community environments, just because you take it for granted that you can work out how to switch it off and on again, or do the configuration or get the right microphone, and you don't get flustered because you'll just run through the kind of list of scenarios and options. It's not as easy for everyone else. And I think that's one of the lessons I've learned, actually being fairly consistent about what you be on with family and friends. And I kind of went through a bit of a learning period with Zoom and that's held out as being pretty easy. But they had some updates recently because of the need to enter pins, changing passwords, changing configurations, and it all got a bit confusing. And actually some of the just the one-click options often do the job just as well, even if they don't have the fancy change of background feature mm-hmm. when you just want to get something done. So I've got a 2018 MacBook Pro. 13-inch touch bar, and I've got a 2018 iPad Pro. The 1,800-pound laptop is not powerful enough. Like, literally, Zoom declines to run the virtual background feature on it. And that doesn't matter. Like, that's not an important feature. I don't miss it. But try explaining to the other people on your call why, you know, some people can do multi-party chat and some people can't see the multi-party video, why some people have got options on the screen to change their backgrounds and other people can't. You spend half the meeting talking about where's that button on the screen for you or why that feature doesn't exist. And I mean, Zoom seemed to have created a product that is more Microsoft-y than sort of 1990s Microsoft. If you go into the preferences and settings, you know, it's just this maze of complexity and all these different add-ons you can buy in configuration. We talked about whether or not we'd use Zoom to record these podcasts. Yes. And there are about three or four different configuration settings just to have it record the participants of a video conference call. Would you like the audio that they heard? Would you like the audio that's recorded locally? Would you like the audio split into different channels, one per person? Would you like that audio processed? I thought you'd like that. Every time I read one of those things, I see 
basically a bit of admin that I'm going to have to do for the rest of the group. Yeah, yeah I think that's absolutely right. I mean, in the corporate environment, it tends to be mandated and everyone just got with it. And I think one of the interesting things for me, just as an aside, is the acceptance of turning on your video has skyrocketed in recent weeks, which I'm actually really pleased to see because it does yes. make it a bit more pleasant rather than talking to disembodied voices. But you're right, with family in particular, seeking out the simpler solutions. And I've seen, for example, some of my family have switched to using multi-party FaceTime calls, which can be a bit fiddly to set up. But once you've done it once, it's then just you mm. basically hit a redial button and everything just works. And that's easier than using Zoom. But of course, Zoom becomes more useful when you've got people on different platforms or who don't have access right. to their own phone or whatever it happens to be. But also, it's amazing to see you know, some of the coverage. I don't really want to go into detail here around security and Zoom. And as with any of these kind of uh, forced experiments, a light gets shone on the technology because everyone sort of starts talking about it and digging into it and investigating it. And there are lots of shoddy holes all over the place and um, Zoom's kind of got it in the neck, but I'm pretty sure that it's applying elsewhere. And when people talk about end-to-end encryption and what that actually means, and actually Microsoft sort of, you know, somewhat against expectations of people who've been in IT for a a while or more sceptical about them, seem to have done a better job at tying some of that stuff down and have been more conservative in the way their, their usage. But what's interesting for me, and again, it's kind of an anecdote, is Microsoft Teams usage has really skyrocketed and a lot of people have moved off Skype for business Mm. because it hasn't been as reliable. But from what I understand, you know, within the Azure, which is kind of Microsoft's cloud services, Microsoft team has been responsible for a massive spike in volume. You know, they've been able to cope with it because they kind of had spare capacity. But people kind of tend to forget there's actually a background to making all this stuff just work as seamlessly as it does. And if this has happened even, you know, sort of 10 years ago, I don't think the volume could have just absorbed to fill the capacity. So scale, yeah. I am actually grateful that for the ability to scale. And that's both from a personal point of view, but also business and, you know, 3G video calling. If you go back 10 years, it's sort of similar situation. So there's a lot of complaints about it. But yeah, my principles would absolutely be use the tool that's kind of people are already familiar with if possible. If you're on an Apple household or Google, like some of the tools they have just make it very easy from the phone. And then if you are choosing something from scratch, absolutely don't think about the video quality or the audio quality. Chances are that you're right or it's affected by the headset that someone's using. Go for the one that makes it one click so that you don't have to do loads of IT support. Yeah, we were just going to wrap up there, but I'd like to do a pitch for my favorite one. So the Upshot, we tested about 10, 15 different products. And, you know, rejected them variously for cost and complexity and all that kind of stuff. And there are plenty of good enough ones. But what I'd say is if you need something that's just really easy and convenient, check out whereby.com. Yeah. It's a browser based, so there's no client to install at all. And the apps are simple to install on mobile devices. And what I really like about it is it makes a room. You can drop into that room and you can come and go as you please. That room persists all the time. There's no concept of hosting like there is in Zoom Mm. where one person is an administrator. And what I really like about their product is actually what it doesn't do. There's a very small number of features. It gets a lot of video in front of people very quickly. It's platform agnostic. It's not tied into a Microsoft account or anything else like Mm. that. And it just works very easily. And we found that was the quickest way to get talking with people without needing to do a lot of clean up, a lot of tidy up. And it had some basic screen sharing in that worked really nicely. And actually, I think it's one of those things where 
products that have said no to webinars and voting and more complicated media features, that kind of stuff. So I think you're going to have four people talking on it for free and um, it's fairly affordable for small teams. So Very smart. Yeah, certainly in an enterprise environment. That was the one that we liked best. And actually a lot of the other products, including Zoom, that claim to have browser-based chat as a sort of a backup to their client didn't work at all well. So, you know, this was a browser-first product, really liked that one. But again, there are plenty of products, so um, try them out depending on your own needs, but consider support. We said we were going to talk about headsets because that was something that we thought was really important as well, but we've run out of time. So let's put a pin in that one for next mm. week. Yeah, McLeod, I want to know what your headset strategy is. Do you use your podcast microphone when you're talking to people on your video chats, or do you have a, an executive headset? I have an executive headset. Of course you do. I want to hear all about yeah, it yeah, next week. Yeah. I've been um, watching some videos of Twitch game streamers because I think there's this weird crossover at the moment between having really good video calls and knowing how to configure really good video calls with lighting and getting the camera in the right place and the right kit and the right microphones. It's all problems that game streamers who've been streaming their, you know, playing esports mm. for years solved a long time ago. So uh, yes. yeah, I think there's this weird meeting of people in suits and people with green hair <laughs> talking about streaming and uh, shooting people. It's uh, fascinating. Right, gentlemen, thank you as ever. Sorry it's been a long episode, but we welcome your feedback and comments at 361podcast.com. You can get us on Twitter at 361podcast. If you want to send ninth birthday gifts, please don't. What? 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 Yes, yes, please. Thank you for all the kind feedback online. We've really enjoyed the last nine years and fully intend to keep going. Thank you again to Mark, who's made the last couple of seasons sound buttery smooth and dealt with most of the audio nonsense. We're recording weekly at the moment during lockdown and um, the publishing schedule is a little bit flexible because everything's up in the air mm. but we'll be back next week or thereabouts so please do write in and let us know if there's any topics you'd like to cover particularly ones around working from home or uh, particularly video conferencing and smart home stuff if you're sat at home tinkering like i am we'll see you next week bye-bye if you need any lights for refitting i can now rewire a light fitting in the ceiling quite speedily no you're all right well, I was going to say, if my house burns down, then we'll all have something to laugh about then, won't we? <laughs> right then, um, who's doing the um, intro this week? It's Blandy. Yeah. Ah, that's Rafe Blanford's looking diligent. He's typing away. I'll go last then, and you can go first. Uh, go for it. Or second. One take, Blanford. One take now. I don't, I'm not trying to beat you off, but just make sure you do it in one take, okay? Last week I did it with no scripts, so, you know, just saying. Hello, and welcome to 361 Podcast. Oh, b- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. That's not even the first hurdle. The vet has come up into the starting stalls and put a bolt in the back of the horse's head before it's gone out the gate there. <laughs> right then, gentlemen, I'm just saying if, I, if I've got any more jokes for you, but I don't think I have. It's been a dry week. The old jokes have been uh, few and far between. So there you go. Well, I won't inflict. Uh, mm-hmm. Just I can't. I can't. Ugh. Yeah. Dear me. Did I tell you that my wife gets really uh, upset when I mess with her red wine? Yes, you did. Go on. Now I put fruit and lemonade in it and she's sangrier than ever. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had that one at the beginning. <laughs> oh. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Yeah, it's pretty poor. Hi, <laughs> Let's talk about our anniversary. Yeah. A little bit of reminiscing. Dun, 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 dun. Hello, this is Ben. I'm Rafe. I'm Ewan. Happy birthday to us. Should we talk about what we can remember? Nine years later. Who even knows what time is anymore? Time. 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 <laughs>
time, 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 time. And welcome to the 361 Degrees podcast. My name is Ben Smith. Who are you? I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. And, uh, well, I suppose before we kick off, this is episode one, so we ought to say uh, where we're from, what we're doing. My, I am from Wireless Worker and a number of other places, and uh, we've agreed sort of every kind of week or so we're going to get together with some other luminaries from the mobile industry. So, I'm you. Or uh, Ewan, as a lot e- of people read. Ewan MacLeod. Yeah. So uh, MacLeod. We should explain this still. We're still in France here. So yeah. this is a little sort of um, outtake. A supplemental. A supplemental. And uh, what, are, what are we going to call this podcast? Well, I like the idea of 361. We've been discussing 361 degrees. That's it. So we're going we're gonna to turn full circle and go one better. <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. love it. So, uh, the 361 degrees. Yeah. Basically, who are we and what are we going to do? I mean, obviously, I know the answer. I don't need you to explain, but, you know, I'm holding a microphone, so maybe someone is listening. Right. Uh, who are we? Oh, well, you're Ben Smith, prominent blogger in a suit. Man in suit. Uh, Go-to guy for bloke in a tie. Yep. That's my new tagline. And I am Ewan McLeod, Mobile Industry Review. Rafe Blanford is now pacing the beach, having an important call. Uh, discussing important things. I think he's trying to decide who in Nokia should be strung up first if the whole Windows Mobile thing goes wrong. Yeah, people are looking at him because he is carrying and speaking into a pink Nokia N8. The man has some exquisite taste. It has to be said. What I like is the way he's managed to pair a pink phone cover with the an orange phone. That's, many people couldn't carry that combination off, but you know, Rafe really <laughs> he's, he's working the orange and the pink. Not many people know, and even walking around the show today, not many people know that he controls the future and success of Nokia that's it I mean some people think there's uh, conspiracies in the world but actually uh, in Rafe's case yes it's absolutely it's absolutely true um, so Rafe will probably come back and we can probably tease him about the whole symbiont thing soon, degree but... of perspective but uh, plenty of opportunities I hope okay so that's enough drivel cast for this time uh, just a bit of chat about us uh, where we come from what we're doing all that kind of stuff this is not a proper podcast we'll give Captain's this a log supplemental yeah this is a supplemental log uh, we won't be doing any more Star Trek references I can assure you uh, thank you for listening and yeah. more importantly please go and listen to episodes 2 and episodes 3 which we've covered here in Cannes all about uh, creative connectivity and then all about App Store which has been uh, you know, really fun and then ready for episode 4 the new name 361 degrees bring it full circle plus and one more. plus one Actually, they had adopted this. Okay, that's enough. My my masseuse and champagne are here, so I'm going to go off and do some more work. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this uh, this episode from Cam. We'll be back uh, in the UK on you know in quieter rooms, surrounded by far less opulent luxury and sunshine. Sometime <laughs> soon. I hope you've enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye bye.